it's hard to choose what we want for our own wellness. We've been told so many times what it's supposed to look like Mm -hmm. and what we can and can't go to. And I like that idea of choice, just the capacity to choose. Citizen Podcast. Hi, my name is Carrie Kelly, and this is Citizen Podcast. First of all, this is the first podcast we've ever recorded on a school bus, which felt appropriate given it was a conversation with Nicole Cardoza, the founder of Yoga Foster, which is focused on making yoga in schools elementary. Nicole is a disruptor, a creator, and a connector who is constantly moving the line forward of what's possible in wellness. She recently launched Reclamation Ventures, an impact fund dedicated to investing in underestimated entrepreneurs closing the wellness gap and is innovating towards a more accessible wellness for everyone. Nicole and I really dig deep in this podcast and you can feel it in the energy of our conversation. We tackle the wellness gap that separates who gets to be well and who doesn't. We acknowledge how white supremacy is playing out in wellness culture. We confront the harm of corporations and institutions that continue to put profits over people. And we reckon with our own complicitness and responsibility in participating in a system and culture that upholds inequity and exclusion and what we need to do about it. We're in a really messy moment in the world navigating big entrenched systems that are set up to keep some people well and some people out. But as Nicole reminds us, even as things fall apart, new ideas and innovations are emerging that are redefining wellness and what's possible when we expose the myth of a wellness that is rooted in capitalism and white supremacy and invest in people and programs that take care of everyone. Uh, Here we are (laughs) on a school bus, the Yoga Foster School Bus with Nicole Cardoza, who you've been on tour traveling around the country in a school bus for how long now? The past month. Oh my God. 19 days to go. It's been longer than that, I feel like. I feel like I've seen you traveling for, I feel like you've been on this bus forever, maybe. You're right. It's been, it's been a a month and a week. Yes. (laughs) It feels like a lifetime. I keep track of you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Because I don't. (laughs) You're like, where have I been? Yeah can't remember, but it's been fun. But it's a pretty tricked out school bus. I mean, it's it's sort of like a West Elm commercial in a school <laughs> bus. I mean, if you're going to do school bus, you should do it this way. Yeah. Luxury school. Luxury school bus. School bus. School bus life. It's what we aspire to. And I think the school bus life. But I imagine this harkens back to what got you into this work in the first place. Like yeah. here you are back in a school bus, which is really where this vision started for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've always wondered like, what it would look like if schools were more well. Uh, When I started in school, I was the kid that couldn't pay attention and got sent to the principal's office all the time. And reality, I was learning a little bit faster than my peers. I was reading at a third grade level in kindergarten, but I didn't look like the smartest kid in a room. And so a lot of teachers that I came into contact with and the assistant principal really didn't think that that was for me. Um, And so when I started teaching yoga in schools after I moved to New York City, I saw the impact it had on students where they felt like they could show up as their full selves. And I don't think that schools oftentimes give us that chance to. 
And for me, when I went to, when I moved to New York, it was the first time I practiced in my own body. And that's where I really felt like I was at home. And so I uh, started to teach as a volunteer yoga instructor in schools, then started to train school teachers and saw this opportunity um, to bring um, yoga and mindfulness into schools in a really cost-effective way. I love what you were just saying before about um, how regardless of how you're showing up and learning and performing, that um, how how administrators or teachers perceive you um, is really determining your experience, right? You were reading at a really high level and yet you weren't being treated that way yeah. because of how you look. And so I imagine our teachers also um, being impacted by by yoga and meditation and is it transforming how they relate to students like how are you seeing this impact the administration and the system as a whole yeah i think for us because we train educators that's a really big part of what we do and i think a lot of people just think that we you know show up and bring yoga to schools especially when we drive in a bus we're like oh just drive the bus to my school and do <laughs> yoga for a day the bus is here <laughs> yeah this is how it goes but no we're really about making it as elementary as possible and that's training the school teachers and when they have an embodied practice and they realize they can show up as their own selves and they don't have to look at the world through their own lens that, you know, isn't just theirs, but a systemic lens, it can help shift how they relate with their students. Yes. Um, I was one of the only people of color in my school growing up. And so there was just this expectation that like the black girl that's like loud and not paying attention, like is somehow being disruptive. And you might not necessarily see that with another kid just because of the color of their skin. Totally. So I, I think it's really important to have educators lead with that relationship to the practice if they have it right you don't want to force it um, but certainly giving them the opportunity to find that in themselves and then relate to students in a better way well and I love it sort of mirrors like you're trying to teach to the whole student and and that requires us to teach to the whole culture right like you're you're, you're talking about transformation on a cultural and on a systemic level when you include teachers when you include administrators because we can't just change the you know, change the child and expect everything to be different right. when the conditions still suck. Right, right. And I mean, teachers are, um, you know, the most underpaid, overworked population, one of the most underserved, overworked populations. They're showing up with a really limited amount of um, their own well-being, right? They were kind of pouring from an empty cup and our system thrives off of that in so many different spaces. And so it's not as easy to just help to transform a student when um, a teacher is walking in every day without the tools that he or she totally. needs to be able to do that work. Totally. And so you're on this bus. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Your organization is called Yoga Foster. Um, and um, I was just reading some of the statistics before, but you have um, worked in so many schools, trained so many teachers, touched the lives of so many children. I've actually personally heard some of the letters that these children have written about their experience in your class. What has this tour been about? Yeah, so this is our first time that we've invested in any kind of like awareness campaign for Yoga Foster. Uh, we are working with about 3,000 teachers now. We aim to reach 10,000 teachers by fall 2020. Wow. It's a big lift. And That's we've only, a huge lift. <laughs> yeah, we've only grown through word of mouth so far, which has been really powerful. Um, so this tour is really to raise awareness in some of our key markets across the United States um, with schools, um, as well as reaching the community that serves them. So a big part of how we do this work is by activating the wellness community. There's, I think this number is a lot bigger and you probably know it, but there's at least 50 million people that practice wellness in America. I have, I'm using 80. 
80. Wow. Okay. So 80 million people. Yeah. There's 50 million public school students that will never have the chance. Yeah. Um, that don't have access to adequate like, gym or physical activity in the school system or adequate mental health resources. Teachers aren't being adequately trained to support the growing needs of kids. And so for us, we want to work with, you know, the yoga studio with the $30 drop-in that's two blocks away from yeah. the school that doesn't have a gym. Um, so that's the, yeah, I just want like everybody to like hear that point, Mm -hmm. right? Like you've got like $30 yoga studios, people walking in with their hundred dollar pans, drinking their $18 juice and the school next door, especially in a place like New York city has no gym, no place for kids to even move. They may not have healthy food, which is more likely than not. And I just like that, that just really landed with me that that's the kind of inequity and gap we're talking about. Yeah, we have, you know, teachers apply to um, work in our programs. 80% of the teachers we work with get our programs completely for free. And I was reading an application from an educator that was saying, you know, the cost of her program is so prohibitive because she knows she needs to have money set aside so she can buy coats for the kids that will need them. Because every year there's kids that come to school that don't have coats. And so as much as this practice can be so transformative, it is so incredibly inaccessible to educators who are paying hundreds upon hundreds of dollars out of pocket for some of their students' most basic needs. How have you dealt with that? Because what I'm hearing is that um, this is an intersectional issue, right? And we, and we can't just... Um, you know, it's it's not it's not just about bringing yoga and meditation into schools. It's actually about being curious about what what are the basic needs a child might need so that they can thrive in school. And I'm sure you're running up against issues of warm clothes, um, of um, healthy food. Has the child even eaten breakfast? Um, like, how are you hand how are you handling what I would imagine is like a really overwhelming. <laughs> Right. Um, uh, Learning experience as to like how much our kids need right now to thrive. Yeah. You know, for us, it's like we are a drop in the bucket and it's almost I, you know, sometimes I stay up at night thinking, like, what am I doing (laughs) doing this work when you know that there's kids that don't have a meal in the morning. And for us, we do what we can with what we have. And I'm really grateful for that. And I do think that this practice can transform the climate of a school. Um, But when we come into a school, we say, look, like yoga and mindfulness might seem like a solve for physical activity, but it's not, you know, it's just the beginning of the conversation. Um, Having access to like mindfulness in a classroom can be the beginning of a conversation for adequate mental health resources. But here are the steps that you need to be taking to do that. And same thing with nutrition. And so in any way a school is interested in bringing in yoga and mindfulness, we say this is the start of a broader conversation. Nice. And we're really glad that you're taking the first step. Nice. Um, and starting to pull together toolkits for our big markets where we're driving the school bus around to say, here are places where you can find resources to create a garden, to um, do other forms of physical activity. Maybe you do a run class with girls on the run after school that can be in addition to a yoga and mindfulness program. And I just find this so refreshing because... Um because I don't know that other advocates that are working in schools have as broad an analysis as you have around the larger ecosystem, right? Like the fact that you're building like a network of like, here's how we create all of the conditions kids need to thrive is really unique and really progressive thinking, I think. Thank you. I mean, it's just the only way that we can't work in this in a silo. I think the yoga, 
space. The wellness industry is really used to working in a silo, but it doesn't happen when you show up in a classroom because kids are coming into schools affected by every single social and political issue that we see happening on the news. And as a teacher is responsible to solve all of that. Um, And, you know, schools with so much limited funding will come to our programs in particular because they're so cost effective to say, I can have this fix everything. We're working with a school district that's investing in yoga foster and security guards in their schools for school climate. And those are just like two different ends of the spectrum, right? And so it's like, how can we say this is part of a broader conversation around what Whoa. school climate can look yeah, like, like because when you offsetting talk- security guards with yoga is not necessarily a solve. But when you talk about wellness, you have to think about guns in schools, right? Like, and, and the fact that kids are going through fire school, gun, I don't know yeah. what they're called, fire yeah. drills for yep. guns, yep. For, sh- for active shooters. Yeah. Active um, shooter drills. And so like that's in the conversation now, which it wasn't in the conversation when I was in school, right. you know? And so, so there's another intersection that we have to think about. Um, well, uh, what you just said about wellness, I think is interesting. And I know we're going to get into this in a moment around how wellness exists in a silo and yet it doesn't, right? Like it, it really kind of exists more like in a bubble. Like yeah. we like to isolate ourselves in wellness and pull out of the messy, volatile, um, often hard to look at truth of the world that we live in and escape into wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think a lot of the work that you're doing um, is is cracking open the the real raw truth that we can't do that anymore, mm. right? And, and even that analogy that you gave that like you're paying $30 to go to your yoga class in your fancy pants <laughs> and your green juice next to a school that has no gym is I think a paradox that we should, as wellness people, be reckoning with. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's happening literally. We just walk right by it and we can't, we either can't see it because we're not aware or we choose not to, which I think is oftentimes more the case. Yeah, or, or both at the same time, mm-hmm. but, but teasing those things out, right? To me is the practice, right? As I understand it now, is how to see the truth more clearly. Um, all right. So speaking of paradoxes, because we're I know we're going to like unpack the the wellness paradox deeply, you and I, because you and I have had lots of conversations about this um, and we love to talk about the gap. Um, uh, yoga journal. So you were just on the cover of Yoga Journal. Yes. Um, but your journey to get onto the cover of Yoga Journal was messy, yes. to say the least. <laughs> Speaking of a gap, yeah, um, a gap in consciousness. Um, um, tell us a little bit about that experience. And I say that because I think those of us that know what happened with the Yoga Journal cover controversy um, carry a lot of story around it. But I think a big part of Truth and Reconciliation is actually listening to those who were most impacted Mm -hmm. by what happened to really understand um, their experience. And then we can, and then we can talk about what needs to be done. So I'd love to hear from you sort of your perspective about what happened. Sure. So we're driving the school bus. We're on the bus right now. Um, (laughs) This particular school (laughs) bus. This actual school bus. And uh, we brought on Yoga Journal to be our media partner for the tour. Um, And then they were going to put us also uh, 
not just on social media and online, but put us in the magazine with a piece on Yoga Foster, which turned into a piece on Yoga Foster and a piece on me and my work outside of Yoga Foster, which turned into me being on the cover and all of these things. And so- Which and is all fine and good. It's all Up amazing. until this point. Yeah. And so and I just wanted like to say, because that's just kind of how it grew. And it went yeah. from like one little thing to a bigger partnership to a cover, which is so exciting. And so I flew out uh, to Denver. We did a shoot for the cover. We did three different cover shoots. So it would be three different pictures. Um, different poses, uh, clothing, you name it. Yeah, yeah. Um, did that at the end of June. A few weeks later, hadn't heard anything, but knew the stuff was happening with the social media stuff, so I wasn't that concerned. And then one day, somebody on Instagram sent me a picture of myself on the cover of Yoga Journal and Catherine on the cover of... The Catherine Yoga- Budig, you're talking yes, about. Yes, Catherine Budig on the cover of Yoga is Journal. a great t- a t- yoga teacher, also 100%. white... And, yes. and looks more like a traditional, you know, stereotype yep. of yoga, according to, you know, the yoga media conglomerate. Correct. Yes. And she was also on the cover this time last year. So it was a cover of her and a cover of me in a survey that says, choose which which cover model you would want. And this person sent me that photo and they said, I voted for you. I hope you get it. And I'm like, I have no idea what are you talking about what this is. And Yoga Journal had posted a survey on all of their social channels asking their community to vote between three cover models, myself, Catherine, and Tal Prashan Lynch, and had pictures um, one by one against each other. And um, the winner would then get the would cover. get the cover. That's correct. So that was a This is problematic on so many levels. Yeah. First off, it's contractually wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So even if you just take it out there, it's not good business. Um, And I, you know, we're going to talk about capitalism, but just in the basic sense of business, it's not good business. Um, So the first thing I did when I saw the picture that was sent to me was I felt so ashamed. And I think it's because it was one of the most blatant representations of how I feel all the time in this space and as an entrepreneur is, or just as a a black woman walking in America, my my lived experience of like, oh, I should have had, like I shouldn't have worn my natural hair. I should have had a weave because I had a weave all through high school. You know, I see Catherine, who's an incredible person, but I also see the girl that got all the guys that I had a crush on. So there was just this Mm. big moment for me where I felt, so ashamed and went home and cried. Um, And then later in the day, um, Tasha from uh, Yoga Journal sent me a message that said like, hey, here's your story. Can you proofread this and send some edits? Oh, by the way, we launched this cover survey. We really need to know what cover will sell. Um, So let me know if you have any questions. Mm -hmm. Which kind of just like twisted uh, the knife that I felt um, because it was about my story was fine and the work that I do is fine, but it was just the picture of me. It was the the image. image. And um, that kind of sent it home for me. So I talked to a few people about it um, who were really helpful and wonderful and supportive. And I, you know, I sent a message to Tasha just explaining how I felt, you know, and and how that came up for me. Um, And then didn't hear a response. Mm -hmm. Um, So after a few days, I thought it was really important to share it online Mm -hmm. because I think that, how I felt in that moment and what came up for me is something that we all experience. And we know that these situations happen behind the scenes. We know this happens when people get hired to work at a retail store and get put in the back of the house instead of the front of the house or think they're having a really good rapport, but they get picked for some reason. Um, and it kind of took off that, that conversation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, which was a little unexpected. Mm-hmm. Do you think it took off because more people are starting 
have more skills and consciousness around why it's wrong to compare white bodies and black bodies for the sake of capitalism and sale. Like what do you like what do you think is shifting in the culture that made this particular conversation um, land? I think, yes, I think it's more specifically, I think more people are becoming comfortable having these conversations publicly. Because I think what was really powerful about what I posted is that the reason it got traction early on is because so many black women shared it. And I think it's because one, that's a lived experience we can all feel and really relate to very easily, but we are all now taking on so much responsibility on social media where things can happen more quickly to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. I do think that the wellness space and people in wellness are starting to get fed up about this too, which mm -hmm. is why I continue to grow. Well, and you were just also, I just want to reflect back to you really. Um, and you don't need to be like this, by the way, you can be fucking angry and pissed off mm -hmm. and say, fuck you to everybody, but you were brilliant and graceful um, in how you held this. Um, Cause I'm, I'm sure it's a burden to hold this conversation for other people who are like catching up to the consciousness of like what it is to be black in America, what it is to be black in wellness. Um, and I thought you were really generous by the way, with um, how you held the conversation and offered it to folks. Um, and, it, and it was, I thought, a really productive conversation. Mm -hmm. um, whereas sometimes, right, these sort of like, like when we expose things in social media, like sometimes it, it creates a flurry and then it stops. Whereas yeah. like the way that this went down felt really productive, right? Mm -hmm. Because you were really clear um, in like leading with your voice and also asking for what you needed. Um, and it felt like, it felt like the community responded to that too. Yeah. Um, and, and I just like, as someone who's like, I feel like sometimes like refereeing <laughs> these battles as like you a white, are. as a white woman trying to like um, be accountable to the, to the actions of other white people in wellness. Um, like I was really relieved to see like something move forward yeah. actually, right? Like, and, and so you, in fact, um, got on the cover and got your feature um, after what I think was like really great organizing, like really great community organizing um, in, in the way in which people really like rose up and, and had your back in solidarity and said like, this is not okay. And we want her on the cover. This is who we want to see representing us. Um, and other things happen too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I initially posted it, I tried to make it as productive as possible because I think that's the only the only step that would matter is the next step right because they already caused harm and I already at that moment did not give a shit about being on the cover of yoga journal or having them work that's with right us. I canceled them being a part I'm of sure that tour. felt really icky for you too in many ways totally yeah. because like you know and Catherine put this really well she was incredible by the way um because I reached out to her and I was like this is about to happen and you're involved and yeah. you didn't want whether to you like it or not you're in this and this is what's happening and she's like here for it yeah. here for it and what she had said to me was this should be something you're celebrating right now is being on the cover and like popping open a bottle of champagne she's mm -hmm. like and i'm so sorry that that was taken away from you and that's not fair 
Um, So at that point, it was like, what is the best next step from this? Um, So in that post, I mentioned that I wanted to start raising money for other entrepreneurs um, who are doing good work because, and this is ironically what my feature in the magazine was all about, this idea that we need more representation and more people creating spaces for all of us to be well. Because the way that this this system works, especially capitalism works, it's not easy to create the next yoga journal. It's not easy to create the next Lululemon. It's not easy to open a bunch of yoga studios if you're not funded by a private equity company like Core Power. And so for for me, I'm like, I wanna start raising. We raised $5,000 from that initial post, which was incredible. So decided to give $5,000 away to an entrepreneur doing dope things. Um, and then from there, I when I talked to Yoga Journal, I told them, Um, because of course they responded after I posted on Instagram, um, that they couldn't use any of my content, uh, that I had picked and certainly couldn't put me on the cover unless they donated all of the profits of the magazine issue to that fund. Because again, I don't think anybody should be allowed to profit off of this kind of harm. And certainly we can do better with that money Mm -hmm. and do better with that work. Would you call that reparations? Because I feel like there are a lot of wellness brands right now trying to make up for poor behavior and harm with like mm-hmm. philanthropy, right? When, whereas this really felt like a clear reparation, like we fucked up mm-hmm. and this is to repair the harm that was done. Like, did, did that feel like that to you? It does to an extent. I don't think it's enough, yeah. but I well, definitely totally. Think, I definitely and there's so much start. more harm. Like this is not the first time. Exactly. Right? Like there's yeah. been erasure and exclusion by an enormous wellness brand, right? And, and Yoga Journal is just one of many, many large right. institutional wellness brands that have been systemically erasing and excluding people of color, um, disabled people, um, um, bigger bodied people from the culture and the story of wellness yep. for a really long time. Yep. Yep. So I think it's a start. I definitely yeah. think it's a start. It's maybe a good modeling and there, and we need more. Absolutely. And I definitely did not expect them to say yes. Um, so when they did, and because we were raising so much online and all of these conversations were continuing, um, I, it, I figured it was time to, to launch an actual fund, which is something I've been thinking about for a while. But hello, School Bus was not really planning on doing it right now. You actually have like eight um, programs we're going to talk about later. Oh, but you're, yeah. are, you a, are you a seven on the Enneagram? I'm know? a three. I think you're a seven. Really? Uh-huh. Because I used to think I was a three. And then I realized I was a seven because Ooh. I was a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. And I loved being a starter. Mm. Anyway. I'm going to have to retake it. We're going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sidebar. On, on I should Anneo- probably take it For now. the Enneagram fans of this podcast. Yeah, I'm obsessed. And I took that like a year ago. But but you're Two saying like... Ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Two companies. Exactly. But the point of the story is you have lots of companies. Yes. And so, of course, you had this intention, but the timing wasn't right and you had other things that you were juggling and here and here's this amazing opportunity to start right and I mean and I think sometimes these things start some people think like what do I have to do to start a company it's like companies start themselves you just give them a name and you decide to put time and intention behind them so it was like I'd already raised five thousand dollars online I was already having this big conversation I'd already created one small way that a big yoga brand can pay back the harm that they created so it's like we're already here so what's the name? What's the timeline? Um, and so it's called Reclamation Ventures. I bet. Yes. So we had to create a website. So I, you know, I asked for um, people to donate to this fund and then I had to put up an application. So I made the application and then 
figured we have a few applicants. We had over 200. So I'm like, okay, now we need an application review process. We need an advisory board. Thank you for being on it. By yeah, the way. I feel so privileged to be Thank on the board. You. Thank you. Um, and it just became a thing. Yeah. Um, and it was also very serendipitous because I am on tour. And so I'm in communities working with wellness leaders on, in local markets. And so I figured why not have events for Reclamation Ventures so we can get to know more of the community and start hosting these conversations in person. So now I'm doing that <laughs> and the tour. And I'm really sorry that it, it happened to you this way. And yet clearly for whatever reason, it opened the door yeah. for you to say yes yeah. to this work and to let it, um, I love what you said about like companies make themselves, right? To let it just like emerge in and of itself mm -hmm. at, at the right time. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with Nicole Cardoza. I wanna give a special shout out to our community of supporters on Patreon who are making it possible for us to do this work. Citizen Podcast was designed for truth seekers, bridge builders, and emerging activists who are yearning to make a difference. We're not afraid to ask hard questions and have radical dialogue about politics and patriarchy, white supremacy and worthiness, and we're serious about showing up for one another and taking action for the well-being of everyone. But making a good podcast takes a village. And so we're building one on Patreon. By joining our community for as little as $2 a month, you get lots of good stuff from us, like early access to our episodes, live meetups with guests, ally toolkits, and exclusive content. Not only does community support keep us going, but it keeps us accountable and real and pushing the envelope of courageous conversations that are independent, transparent, and authentic. You can join us at patreon.com slash ctznwell. Thanks for your support. Now back to our conversation with Nicole Cardoza. One of the things that you're addressing, one of the problems that you're addressing with this fund is what you call the wellness gap. And we talk about the well-being gap all the time at Citizen yeah, Well, yeah, yeah. and we're kind of hitting it at, at it from a political standpoint. Um, but but we define it as the unequal conditions that determine who gets to be well and who doesn't, mm -hmm. right? Like that's the gap. Um, and, and we talked about this before already, but it's an intersectional gap, right? Because like if you can't pay your rent, like you can't pay for a yoga class. So it requires um, those of us addressing the gap to have like a really big analysis mm -hmm. and big relationships with one another, right? In the way in which we understand the problem and work at it from different directions to solve it. Um, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about like your vision mm -hmm. um, for how this fund is gonna close the gap and like what is your contribution? And that's gonna help me too, like totally. as an advisor and as an ally figure mm -hmm. out like how politically can we help what you're doing, right? Like yeah. everybody then can find their place in how we can all be closing this gap because there shouldn't be one, right? Like well-being, wellness should not be a privilege, should be a right, yeah. should be Absolutely. a human right. Absolutely. And for us, it's a pretty unique fund because we're using accessibility and wellness as our KPI for success. So instead of going into a new market and thinking about opening a new yoga studio and figuring out where, where am I going to make the most money? It's like, 
who can I serve if I open a new yoga studio here that might have been left out of the conversation historically? Yes. And I think it's a lot different than how we see most big brands enter spaces who are leading the majority of what we define as wellness as an industry. And it makes it incredibly difficult for really awesome entrepreneurs that represent the communities that they serve to start something. And I think Yoga Journal is a perfect example. Like I'm a woman of color that started a nonprofit. We get this magazine cover that's coinciding with this tour. And I'm told that how I look isn't good enough to sell the work that I do right right? and that this brand has decided that they would prefer to put somebody else there but still lead and have pages and pages worth of my content inside and so I don't get to choose when I walk into a fundraising meeting or when I step off of a school bus how people perceive my work based off of my body that shouldn't be something other people can decide and so I'd love to see more brands that are in spaces representing wellness that are taking all of that into account. And tell me like what some of that might look like, because I think sometimes um, when institutional wellness brands work to address this gap, um, I think often, more often we see things like scholarships mm-hmm. or lower priced classes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like actually thinking much bigger than that yeah. with some of these folks. So what are some of like the innovations that we want to be aspiring to as um, disruptors yeah. <laughs> or even as folks who are like giving money to the fund? Mm-hmm. Like what is the kind of stuff that you're hoping you're going to see come out of this fund? Yeah. So we're hoping that we're able to elevate entrepreneurs doing great work. Um, to make their stuff more sustainable, the work that they're doing more sustainable. And that could look like investing in a studio that they started in their community so they don't have to sell it to a bigger brand. It could look like giving people access to leadership opportunities so that they're more likely to take a leadership role in uh, a retailer that they work in that can help shift the conversation that they have. Um, Right now we're giving... So it's about a big part of it's about the who. Oh, absolutely. So underestimated entrepreneurs is who we focus on. And those are people that you don't normally see leading wellness brands. Most of those people are white men. There's a little bit more white women leading the conversation in wellness, um, but still like even just being a white woman, you're underestimated in most brands or sorry, in most industries. Well, and white women speaking as one also need to get out of the way of a lot of these conversations. True. True. So we're investing in, um, yeah, any uh, underestimated entrepreneur that falls outside of that demographic um, who's doing that work. So that's first and foremost. And that alone is really powerful. Yeah, I totally Bringing in different experiences um, alone, I think, can really help to shift things. And those people are also, the people that we're looking to invest in should also be um, looking to help close the wellness gap in their own ways. And that's pretty broad, right? But um, for example, Yoga Fosters, an example of an organization that's making wellness more accessible in schools um, as a nonprofit organization. And so that would really fall under Mm -hmm. that category. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had over 200 people apply. And one of the ones that I love so much is somebody starting a studio for the trans community, just so when they can walk in and take classes and use bathrooms and not feel the shame that comes into walking into a space for some people where they don't feel like they can they can just show up and, and take a class. And for me, that's just, that's a no brainer. Like, where do we need to get this space? What markets does it need to be in? How much money do they need to, for investing? Totally. And then move on. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of an example. And it me. sounds also like, um, I love what you're saying about like really um, honing in on leadership, because I also think we, we can, we can be more discerning about 
what we mean by leadership, um, especially in like, I feel like DNI is so popular right now. Like we're all, everybody's trying to diversify. Nobody can see, I have air quotes up, like <laughs> diversify and include. Um, but we often stop short of giving marginalized, underestimated people, decision-making power, authority, right? Creative uh, um, capacity yep. to like really create and lead and make decisions. And so I just wanted to name that yeah. because that feels important, right? Yeah. Instead of just like salt and peppering, right? Like a staff, mm-hmm. um, actually understanding how power works, yeah. right? Yep. And shifting power yep. within institutions and organizations and communities and cultures feels like critical. If we want to shift things. Yeah, absolutely. And some of this is creating new, like absolutely new spaces. And some of it's working in existing spaces that are already imbalanced. Yeah, because they have to be disrupted. And I always go back and forth between do we dismantle this whole system or continue to just work inside of it to the best that we can. And I think the answer is both at the same time. That's right. I think that's right. I think I read something the other day that um, that we're both... um, in the great unraveling and in the great transition. And that means that like, yes, we're deconstructing and dismantling, but simultaneously we're building new pathways inside to transition to to something new, probably that we haven't experienced or even, you know, discovered yet. Right. Right. Um, So uh, along those lines of like, unraveling something and creating something new. I want to touch on capitalism because I think um, when talking about issues of inequality and inequity, often what's left out of that analysis is how those, um, how those paradigms intersect with capitalism, Mm -hmm. capitalism being a system that consistently puts profit over people and dignity over the environment, the planet and and sustainability. Um, And yet, um, as much as we could, you know, rage against capitalism and the harms and the and we're seeing what's happening in the Amazon right now, you know, which is is capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's white supremacy and capitalism in action, very deliberately and purposely for the sake of profit. Yeah. I'm lighting these fires on purpose mm-hmm. um, and letting the lungs of the earth burn to the ground. And so like that, if that's not like symbolic of what's happening everywhere, I don't know what is. But we know capitalism um, is harming us and yet we're steeped in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I want to hear because you've you've also you have a um, a company a venture called Dala, mm-hmm. um, which is really about transforming our relationship to money. Yeah. Um, and you're super savvy, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to say that about you. Like I've always admired this about you because you're you're like scrappy and you're savvy. And um, not only do you create things, but you innovate them. You navigate um, systems. Um, I'm sure you've been doing that your whole life in many different ways. Um, And clearly you're trying to create new pathways, right? So you're a part of the transition. But I'm curious how we disrupt and dismantle capitalism while we are in it. Like, what what do you feel like is the line for us? Like, how do we walk that? 
This is, I wish I had the answer to that. I know. Sentence, I'm like, right? tell us everything, <laughs> <Yeah>. Nicole. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It's funny, like Dala and Reclamation and Yoga Foster, they're all around this idea of like redistributing power. Mm-hmm. And I feel Dala's, mm-hmm. I needed Dala. I need Dala because it's about redistributing the power that money has over me and my own personal mm-hmm. self, right? Amen Because to we're that. told that how much we, our wealth defines our worth. And so if we aren't wealthy or we don't have access to money, in some ways we are not worthy to own it. So there's personal transformation around the work of Dala. Yeah, totally. And so I think on like when we try to like kind of you know, walk this line, it's versus radical acknowledgement of like I, we did not choose to have the money that we have in our bank account. That was chosen for us by this system. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out how we can thrive in the system to the best of our abilities without shaming and blaming ourselves individually for the pain that it caused, right? Like my ancestors were property, like we were money, Mm -hmm. right? And now I'm at a place where I'm owning money and trying to figure out that life. And I have to remember that, like when I go through life and it's just like, just to, I need to remember that so I can breathe more deeply. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm just thinking as you're, as you're saying that I have a really different experience um, in relationship to money as a white person, mm-hmm. right? Because I've had more access to it um, and access, whether that's through jobs um, or school and education um, um, or hiring opportunities or promotional opportunities. I mean, in wellness alone, but even in, in, in corporate America. And I understand it from the other side as a woman, right? Having been worked on many, you know, around many board tables in the corporate world. Um, but, but I also, part of me thinks that social location has a role in what you're naming, because when I think about how I want to thrive economically inside of capitalism, I can't not take into consideration how I've profited and benefited and what that means for me with regards to reparations. Like in my, in, I mean, this personally, not like just, um, representing citizen well or, or the community of wellness, um, and so there's, I, I keep using the word reckoning, but there, it feels like there's a lot of reckoning in this mm-hmm. conversation and relationship, right? Because yeah. like, I have to be in relationship with you to understand where I am yeah, in relationship point. to power and privilege. Yeah. And, and for me, like, if you're not thriving because we still exist in this fucked up system, I'm not going to be a victim and be like, well, the system's fucked up. So what are we going to do about it? Right. I'm going to be like, how do I be a part of the transition, right? Yep. That you're talking about yep. as a white person. And I love that you're doing that. You're doing that personally with Dala. And it feels like you're doing that systemically yeah. with reclamation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you said it so well, like the other side of that line is like, acknowledging like what has happened to us and then also acknowledging how much we can change right Mm -hmm. like even just like with how we spend where we choose to spend our money who we choose to elevate as you said so well so i think in our individual lives like we just have to like kind of put one foot on in front of the other but we're going to lean to one side or the other every time too well and one of the things you and i share um and we've done a lot of this work together is we both work with big wellness institutions and the trickiness of doing that work is and I believe that we both work with those institutions for the sake of changing them mm-hmm. um, because they're big power players in wellness. Um, and they are um, doorways that determine Doorway. who gets erased or who gets yeah. and who gets excluded and who gets included and uplifted. Um, and so, like, I, I feel a responsibility to, like, go into those institutions and disrupt and help help them redesign something that's more. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing a lot of that work, too. Yeah, um, and, and yet, like... I often find when I'm in collaboration or partnership with a larger institution that is 
almost always a profit-driven capitalist institution, I, I always come up against a rub mm-hmm. where I'm like, is this work still productive? Mm-hmm. Like, are they doing as much as they can be doing, right? Are, are, are these um, uh, company, uh, is the leadership and the CEOs and the C-suite and the board of investors for these companies having the same reckoning that you and I are having right here right. around is enough, what is, what is enough? Right. Who's getting left out? Who's suffering yeah. at, our, at, at, at yeah. our benefit? Right, right. I, yes, all the time. I think, you know, Yoga Journal is such a good example of that because on one hand, I run this nonprofit. This nonprofit thrives because of the systemic oppression that happens in capitalism and in wellness, right? Because if a lot of these big brands didn't have the resources to be able to give, right, then my nonprofit wouldn't be able to work. And also, if schools weren't as underserved as they are across the board, then we wouldn't have work, right? So, doing i have to be in the system to do the work that we do but with something like yoga journal where it's like of course i want to have this conversation with their subscriber list of course i want to be on the cover and show that there's something different of course i want to be like you know writing things for the pages and having them on tour and showing this different side and then when that happens it's like all right it's not enough if you're causing that much harm to an individual Mm -hmm. right and then what responsibility do i have when Mm -hmm. i tell all of these students that yoga is for them but they didn't want to put me on the cover of a magazine or those kids, right? Because they'll grow up and they might start something and experience the same type of shit. And they don't, and they may not have seen people like you on the cover to inspire them. I mean, I just want to, I want to acknowledge how and, and appreciate how much nuance you have around that. It's like almost like a contradiction of like, we need to work in relationship with these companies and yet they re- and yet they really need to change. Yeah. Um, And and we can't tolerate systemic harm or deliberate harm or conscious harm. And we also can't, we can't tolerate negligence anymore. We can't tolerate, well, I didn't know anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's work that these companies have to do fast and furiously if they want to become the conscious, you know, enlightened, Mm -hmm. (laughs) sustainable, healthy brands that they purport in all of their marketing. and I'm just grateful that you're in this conversation with us because I think I think we need people like you who are willing to hold the I'm will the the willingness right to work in collaboration when people when people desire to change, yeah. but also the boundaries to be like that's not fucking okay. Yeah. And you need to do something about it and yeah. you need to repair the harm that you've done. Yeah. And to me, that's actually a really healthy relationship to be having with some of these companies. Yeah, I think about it like in a personal relationship. I broke off an engagement. I'm starting a new relationship now. And it's like, what kind of relationship would I want to be in with a person? Right. Do I want to be looking the other way when they're fucking up? And I have done that in the past, yeah. totally, because I'm like, I don't want to lose this. This yeah. feels really good, like in safe and whatever. But there's actual harm happening. And so for me, yeah, it's like, how can I just be in the deepest relationships that I can as a grown up with brands and people? And it's inevitable. Every time I have an interview with someone or have one of these conversations, it always comes back to relationship. Like it is always everything is about relationship. What are the relationships that we need to be cultivating with one another and with institutions, right? And with our elected officials and with other communities so that we can repair the harm that's been done and transition towards something that's more inclusive, more whole, Mm -hmm. um, more healthy, more well. 
Um, and, and it does come down to how do I want to be in relationship? Um, and what and what are the qualities right of healthy relationships that we can cultivate with one another and cultivate with partners and institutions? I mean, I even think that like, you know, um, things like boycotting is really healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Like to send a message that right. like I, we are no longer going to support right. your we're not going to buy your product anymore yeah. um, until you change is actually a, a gift. Here is a message we're going to send you. Yeah, I'm letting you know I'm no longer in relationship with you. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And one thing that's been and that's clear me, communication. It's clear communication <laughs> <laughs> and necessary because yeah. there's always this expectation that we're going to be in relationship with everybody that has a lot of money. That's what how power works. Yeah. It's like if you are powerful, everybody loves you. Um, but and we're so used to being passive aggressive. Like I'm just going to totally, stop talking to you totally. um, and hate you from afar, but right. do nothing to disrupt the harm that you're doing. Right. Because back in the day, you could like write an angry letter to headquarters or just not go into the store. You didn't have the relationships that you can build with brands through social media, through influencers, like through this new kind of very personal, public, individual person personality behind brands, if that makes sense. That totally does. So. And it's funny, like I've I've boycotted brands um, over the last couple years um, that have that haven't aligned with my values. You know, I boycotted Uber for a while. Um, and, and just this past year, I boycotted Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, when they were trying to colonize New York. <laughs> um, but I, I bring this up because those two brands in particular are a big part of my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when I chose to do that, I, I had to I had to be prepared to be inconvenienced. Right. Like I like I, I get around on Uber and in Lyft and in and yellow cabs. And yeah. so I had to like reorganize my life yeah. um, to align with that decision. And same thing with Amazon. And I, I really wish I wasn't so dependent on Amazon. Yeah. But like I order a lot of things. I live on a mountaintop now. Like I order a lot of things from Amazon, like garbage bags yep. and food. And um, and when I made the choice to, to boycott them, I had to I had to like reorganize my life and I had to be inconvenienced. I had to give something up. And so I just say that because I think that's part of some of like, right? Yeah. I think like some of this big work in relationship is redefining your relationship with yourself. That's right. Like what are you willing to take, you know, what are you willing to hold and what are you willing to let go of and what boundaries are you willing to give yourself? Um, which is why I love Dala and like my individual relationship with right. money because that's a huge part of power. Um, but yeah, even like, you know, being 30, I feel like I'm 30 now and a lot has changed in the past couple of months. I just turned 30. Um, but yeah, I think two or three years ago when I was earlier in my career and I was younger, I would have taken something like Yoga Journal because that was something I was willing to hold internally that, you know, regardless of my relationship with the industry, regardless of my relationship with the students that we serve, like my relationship with myself was like, I am used to living in a world where I have to shrink, right? And then right. I have to and accept that, yeah. And I'm not, I'm no longer willing to do that in any aspect of my life. And so like it or not, <laughs> that's something I have to reckon with when this stuff happens. Reckoning is definitely the word. Yeah. Reckoning is the word. And you know, it's funny, there is no purity. Like I think sometimes in wellness, we have this idea that you have to be a, a pure person. Even our gurus, right? We put up on pedestals and we expect them to be perfect. Yeah. Um, and we expect that often of each other. And we're fucking up all the time. I yeah. fuck up all the time Same. as like a white ally. Same. I fall on my face. I fuck up. And, and relationship isn't about not fucking up. It's mm -hmm. about 
uh, it's about honesty, it's about transparency, and it's about doing the work of repairing yeah. and, and admitting that you made a mistake and doing whatever you have to do to not make it again. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I feel like there is no, and there's no purity to these companies, and yet we need to be fierce. Yeah. Yep. And yet, like, we need to be fierce because there's too much at stake at this point. Yeah. We don't have any time. We don't have any time left. And and people's dignity is at stake, which is, like, the most heartbreaking thing to mm-hmm. me. And so, like, it's like, how do we understand that there is no purity? We were born toxic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We're born polluted. Yeah. We're all polluted in, in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, indoctrinated in this system, indoctrinated in capitalism, indoctrinated in white supremacy and patriarchy and, and individualism and all the things. And and we're forging new pathways, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I know that you are. I mean, between like Dala and Yoga Foster um, and Reclamation and um, I know you have other things up your sleeve. <laughs> I know these things about you. I know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I and I can't believe you're only 30, by the way, because you have the wisdom of a great Thank sage. You. Thank you. Um, of course, you look like gorgeous. <laughs> but um, but it's really amazing what you've accomplished in your life in 30 years. And I just fucking can't wait to see what's next for you and and where you go next. And so the last thing I wanna ask you is, um, and I know you were with us at Wellspring last year where we had that panel called Wellness Beyond Whiteness. And and one of the things we asked all the panelists uh, was, what does it mean, um, what does it mean to you to be well? Mm. Like, what does that mean? Mm. Um, and what and what we heard was that it means a lot of different things yeah. to different people. And that wellness is about self-determination mm-hmm. and it can't be prescribed by a yoga journal or a Lululemon yeah. or a research company. Yeah. It's really up to the person yeah. to decide. So what does what does wellness mean to you? As you as you reclaim it, right? Yeah. Like, I, to me, it's, and it's similar to that, it's choice. It's like the ability to choose what that practice is for you. And I I think a lot of us feel like we can't choose our own definition of wellness. And I feel like this even now sitting on a school bus, like thinking about my life. It's hard to choose what we want for our own wellness. We've been told so many times what it's supposed to look like Mm -hmm. and what we can and can't go to. And I like that idea of choice, just the capacity to choose. I love that. Um, so what does what does it actually look like in your life? Like what does a good well day look for like? Oh for my you? goodness! First of all, wellness for me, which is shifted, is being in one spot. Yeah, you're like <laughs> not being on a bus, yeah, like <laughs> not carrying things, not being physically burdened by stuff. For mm-hmm. me, is wellness. Um, I hear that. Yeah, um, having access to healthy food. I've gone to so many different cities in the U.S. and that's not always an option. I lived in New York for 10 years and that's much more accessible. Um, so for me, it's having access to healthy food. Um, wellness is the ability to binge watch something <laughs> when I need to. I love that. Um, and taking the, just really taking physical space for myself taking up physical space. One thing I think is fascinating about travel is your space, your physical space is much more constrained when you're on a plane or you're on a train or you're the backseat of somebody else's car or, um, so I think for me, it's, it's really claiming space right now. Well, I hope that for you when this tour ends <laughs> and you get to get off the bus, <laughs> literally and figuratively, um, that you land in a, a place that gives you like space to keep um, cultivating and, you know, being a conduit for all of the great ideas that are going to take us Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.
While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to reclaim wellness. That might look like supporting organizations that are democratizing wellness, or demanding fair policies at your local yoga studio, or pushing back on media brands that perpetuate harmful stereotypes, or investing in underestimated entrepreneurs, or even just putting your money where your mouth is, and being more discerning with your dollar and who and what you support. Regardless, it's about taking action to create the conditions where everyone can be well. You can follow and support Nicole's work on Instagram at Nicole Cardoza, at Yoga Foster, and at Reclamation Ventures. Special thanks to DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at djdrez.com. And to our executive producer who puts it all together and makes it sound great, Trevor Exter. And thank you for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $2 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for citizens who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And share the love by telling your friends to check us out.